This morning, we'll continue in the book of Exodus. And we are soon to begin a series on Advent. And I'm very much looking forward to that. And I think Pastor Darrell will be leading off in that series. But this morning, uh, we continue with Journey of a Lifetime from the book of Exodus, and we come to chapter 17, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 7 there, and I'll move to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John, reading verses 37 and 38. Please remain seated for the reading from the Old Testament, and we will stand. This is the inerrant and the infallible word of the living God. Chapter 17 of Exodus. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel. And because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Would you stand for the reading of the gospel? The gospel according to St. John, chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. mouth and the meditations of our hearts 
Be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Do you find yourself ever judging God's blessings by whether or not you have trials in your life? I'll never forget a young businessman named Bill or at least that's what I'll call his name this morning. Bill owned his own business, and he was a very aggressive entrepreneur who came to Christ. He was as aggressive in his young faith as he was in his business. And so when he called me one day to talk with me, I was very interested to see what new plan he had, what new idea he had about the church. But when I saw him, I saw the countenance of a man that was very disturbed. I would say, bewildered. He said, Pastor, he said, you know my life has changed. I said, yes, Bill, I know that. I've seen it. He said, well, I don't get it. I said, uh, said, you don't get what, Bill? He said, well, as a matter of fact, I don't get you, I don't get the Bible, I don't get God, I don't get any of it. I said, now, Bill, you're going to have to break that out for me just a little bit. Help me. He said, well, I I, I turned to God. I've turned my life over. My business was better when I was an unbeliever. I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry that your business is having such trouble. He said, the truth is, I don't appear to have the blessing of God on my life. I said, because, he says, because, I'll show you my balance sheet. That's, that's because. Do we ever judge God's blessing by trials or the absence of trials? I have. We left a Fortune 500 company where I was an up-and-coming manager 
in Kansas City, and we moved across the country to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, to seminary. And my boss at the time knew I was going to seminary, and he said, we'll let you work for us down there, no longer as a manager, but you can work while you're going to seminary. Heck, I'll even move you. I've got some extra money in my account, and we'll pay for the move. And that was an enormous blessing. Seminary, and by Christmas, he had been replaced. His replacement looked at the books and said, what is this charge to North American van lines to Florida? Moving Mike Milton? He's, he's essentially leaving the organization. Get that money back. I received a call a week before Christmas. We want $5,000 back by December 31, or you're out and you'll be sued. I stopped at a red light on my way home on Commercial Avenue in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and put my head on the steering wheel, and I began to cry. And I was trying to figure out if I could tell May before Christmas that I had to come up with $5,000 after we had depleted everything we had to go to seminary. I said, of course, I, I've got to. She's in it with me. And I said, Lord, I, I, I'm following you. You called, I followed, and now this. Have you ever judged God's blessing by trial? Have you ever asked the question, am I in the will of the Lord or out of the will of the Lord by evaluating the circumstances in your life only? Well, you're not alone. Israel did. In time, Moses would. Israel, despite having seen the miraculous intervention of God time after time, once again is grumbling in the wilderness, desiring even to go back into slavery. Murmuring against their leader, appointed by God, and against God himself. And then wondering in this verse that, that stayed with me all week, 
the Lord among us are Is he with us or not? And yet the testimony of all of this passage tells us this. This is good news. That the blessing of God is not contingent. on the unpredictable vicissitudes of life, but upon the unshakable promises of God. And three instruments in the passage will drive this home. For you and me, as they did for Israel. And the first instrument that we could point to in the passage is that God's promise, an instrument of God's promise, which, which shores up his blessing despite circumstances, is in fact his leader in the midst of the crisis. Moses. God spoke through Moses, and through Moses there would come the striking of the rock and the flowing of the water and the quenching of the thirst and the salvation of their bodies. A leader. We can't imagine... Only a few of us, perhaps, in this congregation, or at least the membership roles of this congregation, can imagine the difficulties from 1939 to 1945 when thousands upon thousands of Americans were killed, and even more thousands upon thousands of allies were killed, as well as our enemies. Catastrophic bloodshed across the world. When the journalists and historians gathered in various parts around the year 2000 and tried to ask, answer the question, who was the greatest leader of the 20th century? Uh, the answer was, was almost unanimous. It was the cigar-chomping prime minister from Great Britain. And I'll never forget when he died. Almost as much as the day, I'll never forget, when President Kennedy was assassinated. Because of the response of my Aunt Eva, she broke down in tears, weeping. And that was something she did not do often. 
And what I saw in her, as I reflect upon that now, was the tears of something I could never understand. She had gone through a terrible time. My uncle was killed in World War II in the Navy. My father uh, commandeered two, or, or commande uh, was commander of a troop transport. He was captain of a ship uh, transporting uh, troops to, from uh, New York to Liverpool and, and also down to us going to South Africa, and he, he was sh shot. His ship was attacked twice by U-boats. Her thoughts went to uh, the burial of my uncle, the, the, the daily fear of uh, not only immediate family, but our uh, other family members. And, and yet his voice over the airwaves and he, over the American, back to her in the midst of a circumstance that was absolutely chaotic and horrific there was a leader and that illustrates well the blessing that God had given Israel asked the question is God even with us they asked that because the circumstance said, no, he's not. You're, you're out here in the middle of the desert thirsty. But the promise said, yes, he's with you because he's given you a leader to lead you to the promised land. Now, you say, is God with me? No, I just got a medical exam and it doesn't look good. Where's God in my life? Is God with me? No, my business is failing. Is God with me? No, I'm having difficulty in my marriage. I don't have the blessing of God. But you have a leader in the midst of the crisis. Jesus said that he was going to leave one, the Holy Spirit, who was the comforter. Christ is the captain of our salvation, but to believe in Christ is to also receive living water. And he points out in that passage in John 7, 37, 38, 39, that that living water is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comforts. He is the one who is with us. Don't equate God's presence and blessing and his love with circumstance but with his promise. The other instrument in the passage is quite clear. It's, his, it's Moses' staff. You remember the staff. The staff was a serpent. It was the sheep stick in Early in Exodus, in chapter 3 and 4, the dialogue between God and Moses, he, what is that in your hand? Well, it's a, it's a uh, staff. Well, it's what you herd sheep with. It wasn't a scepter like he used to have in his hand. It's now a sheep stick that you, you herd sheep with. That's how low he had gone. Throw it on the ground. It was a serpent. 
dangerous. That's the condition you're in, Moses. Now pick it up. He picks it up and it becomes, it becomes a staff. The transformed dangerous thing now will become the supernatural sign of God's presence and power. And he says, whenever you get into difficulty, raise the staff. The first time Moses had a tremendous obstacle come to him, he had the greatest army in the world behind him and the Red Sea in front of him, and they were about to be crushed. And God says, raise the staff, and the sea parted. Now he says, take the staff and hit the rock and water will come forward. Is God with us? Israel said. Well, there was a staff, the sign, a transformative sign of supernatural power. Yesterday, Yesterday, I was teaching, preaching in Greenville, South Carolina, and a young man, a seminarian, asked me a question. I was teaching about occasional sermons. Occasional sermons are like funerals and weddings. They're not Sunday-to-Sunday sermons, and we were talking about... uh, Funeral sermons. And the, the young seminarian at Erskine Seminary, he said, how do, you, how do you get through them when, when it's got to be that, he says, uh, Dr. Milton, it's got to be that every now and then something hits you. And you're only human. We, we're only human as... As pastor, something hits you and the emotion takes over. I said, yes, that's right. I said, trauma is like an old water moccasin that's underneath a deep and dark old pond. An event from long ago that hurt you. And it's underneath that pond. And sometimes a branch of a tree or a pine cone will fall down into the pond and make a ripple. And that old water moccasin will come up. Surprise you. I said, that's what trauma is. And I said, son... Sometimes you will preach a sermon. There will be a funeral sermon. The circumstance of which will be like that. It will be personal to you. Even if you didn't know the family or know the individual, the circumstance will be like that water moccasin coming to the surface again. But I said, here is where the gospel of Jesus Christ, more specifically the cross of Christ, that supernatural transformative instrument of God, which was an instrument of pain, which became an instrument of healing, 
an instrument of defeat which became an instrument of victory, an instrument of embarrassment, and an instrument of shame which became an instrument of glory and majesty lifts you up and allows you to preach and live. You preach out of the power of the staff in your hand. That is the instrument that you and I have in our lives today. That is what it means to live out of the power of the cross. You do not judge God's blessing by the unpredictable vicissitudes, the ups and downs of life, but by the unshakable promises of God. And his instrument for conveying that is the cross of Christ. The final instrument I would point to in the passage is the stream of water flowing from the rock. That which finally gave life. That which at length quenched the thirst of the Hebrews. April 8th, 1945, circumstance, catastrophic. The war will soon be over, but for him, life will soon be over. The Lutheran pastor, seminary professor, underground Opposition leader Dietrich Bonhoeffer is in his cell. He will be hanged that morning. He conducts a worship service, a communion service for his fellow prisoners. He is led to the gallows by his Nazi guards. The noose is placed around his neck. And we are thankful that his words, his final words are recorded. This is the end for me. It is the beginning of life. The circumstances could not be worse. Did Bonhoeffer have the blessing of God? Well, I guess not. Surely not. He, he was, his ministry was over. 
he was going to be hanged. He, this, there was no blessing there. There was certainly no health and wealth with a noose around your neck. That is, if you look at circumstance. But if you look at the promises of God, the streams of living water, the resurrection of Jesus Christ was flowing through the man's life and even out as a testimony to those who would hang him and those who would observe. Bill, I said, there was once a Lutheran pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who told his students, we must get past a transactional relationship with God. of saying, if I do this, God, you'll do this, right? And that, that will be how I know that we have a good relationship. You'll bless me. And he said, we must come to the place, gentlemen, he told his seminary students, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we must love God for God's own sake. And then we will enjoy God. And I would say to you, Bill, the young businessman who came to see me, go and think on these things. I'm happy to say that the young man who came to see me, the young entrepreneur, he did. And his countenance changed over time. Rather than being aggressive with his customers, he began to be thoughtful. And he actually listened to his customers. And it was amazing the way his business changed. In our own lives, God rescued us and showed his faithfulness. And someone actually provided, without ever knowing anything about the moving expense, at Christmas time, not only that amount, but $2,500 more to get us into the new year with our seminary expenses. Oh, those are good endings. But it doesn't always end like that. Sometimes the Nazi noose is tightened, and like Bonhoeffer, life goes away. Sometimes the ruling motif of the cross goes all the way to crucifixion, but we must always remember that we as believers live under that pattern that life does not end at the cross but with the rock that is struck and the living water of the resurrection from the dead.
These are the promises of God. This is the hope that we have. In the the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, may God bless you with the knowledge of these promises in your life, in your circumstances.